podcast is the message from Sunday, September 24th, given by Pastor Ben Isley on Matthew's chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Siblings in Christ, grace and peace be to you from God, who isn't fair, but who is good. Amen. We're going to try a little call and response activity today. Some of you know how some of this goes. The Twins, for example, Minnesota Twins won the American League Central Division. It clinched it on Friday night. Woohoo! Yeah, clap. That's good. If you're a Twins fan, that's good. If you're not a Twins fan, you can clap anyway. We deserve it. I love watching baseball and sports on TV. Some of you obviously do as well. There's enough Vikings jerseys in here to make that evidently true. But there's something about being in the stadium, right, being at the sporting event with the arena in the crowd that is just a different experience. You become part of the event. You become part of the story that's unfolding there in the space, right? And one way that teams and stadiums bring you in to the environment is they have you participate in ways sometimes you don't even pay attention or sometimes you even know it's happening, right? They make you a part of the story. So, for example, when the stadium speakers at Target Field bust out, hey oh, people go, hey oh, right, we call and respond that. That's liturgy. In the church, we call that liturgy. When we say, the peace of the Lord be with you always, you say, and also with you. When we say, this is the gospel of the Lord, Thanks be to God. That's liturgical. Liturgy means the public duty or ministry of a people or the work of the people. So when we read, pray, or respond all together, we're practicing liturgy. And stadiums, you do that too. When the big drum goes and we're all clapping like this and hoping for better things this week from the Vikings, right? That's liturgy. We're doing that. It's the work of the people. The story or the parable that Jesus tells today invokes a phrase that could be part of common liturgy in households. It doesn't exactly say the phrase. It's not in the gospel, the story, but it's there. It's in our homes with little kids or big kids or bigger kids that we call adults too. There's something that's almost a liturgic, a public duty or a work of the people in itself. And it happens, like in the children's sermon, when someone gets something and somebody else doesn't. Just like the children's message, but it's not just kids. We say, that's not fair, right? Has that ever been spoken in your house or by you or whatever? Yes, a few of you. Only like six, though. So this is going to be a difficult sermon. Well, I want to try this. Every time I say, that's not fair, I want you to respond by the same thing. I want you to say, that's not fair. So let's try it. That's not fair. fair. It's not fair. Whatever it is, we're outraged for some reason, probably. We should be, because this parable is about a God who is not fair. The concept of fair is pretty ingrained in who we are, both at like a human level now, but also in an in an ancestral or evolutionary point of view, too. There's a video I'm going to show you in just a second that illustrates this. You may have seen this before. What you're going to see is you're going to see two individuals that are kind of playing a game with a woman, two individuals that have a task they need to complete. They both need to exchange something with her in order to get a reward back. The first one completes the task and does exactly as expected and gets a reward, which is completely satisfactory to him, until he sees the second one, His companion completes the same task, and they get a reward that's a little bit sweeter. Watch what happens here. Maybe. I'm not on the screen, apparently. Yeah, it's on. It's on. It's just not moving. 
There. We're getting grape and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. She tests the rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. I'm getting, I'm getting That's not fair. That's not fair. It's not fair, right? The first monkey gets a cucumber, I don't know if you heard that, which is completely satisfactory to it, until their neighbor gets a grape, which is much better. And that's outrageous, because it's not fair. Sometimes we're basically the same thing, right? Today, the landowner in the vineyard isn't fair. In the story and the parable from Jesus, it's not fair. And the workers in the story say, that's not fair. That's not fair. And they're super right, right? You heard the story. The main character is a landowner with the vineyard. That means the guy is super rich. He's got resources. And he goes and finds some people to work. They agree to a wage. Then he hires them. And then he does the same again and again, but it's later and later on in the day. And even at the end of the day then, when the work has been done apparently, he does payroll and he pays everybody the same, whether they work 10 hours or two. And they say, that's not fair. That's not fair. And they're right, and everyone knows it. The ones that get paid the same and work the longest say it. The ones that work the least know it, and we know it. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's not. The scene is not too hard to transplant, I don't think, into contemporary context, into today, right? Laborers still wait, hopefully, in places for a day's wages. Often migrant workers whose lives are increasingly becoming political footballs as elections ramp up. Writers Guild, SAG-AFTRA, and United Auto Workers are striking for fair wages, among other things. Those aren't too hard to transplant and imagine in today's culture, in today's time. But what should not be transplanted into today is financial economic practice from this parable. That gets dangerous. Part of what Jesus is talking about and speaking to is a conversation about how the Jews, who have for a long time been the laborers and inheritors of God's faithfulness and promise, how the Jews and how the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and how the brand new disciples, the brand new followers of Jesus, are all on the receiving end of God's grace. That's part of what's happening in the story. What Jesus is not doing is holding a seminar on employee-employer relations or workplace productivity. This is not Jesus offering a roadmap on union busting. It's not an excuse to take advantage of laborers and underpay them. It's not a blueprint for divinely instituted socialism or capitalism. It's not a free license to do whatever the heck you want with what you call yours. And it's not a call for you to just get what you get and don't get upset. It is about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is deeply concerned with justice, with economic justice, and justice for society. 
And this is about how turning the norms of have and have-nots should be upside down. And to turn this parable into an allegory for how employers are to treat those workers by squeezing them for their labor is to ignore the run-up and the follow-up to this story from Matthew's Gospel. Just last chapter in Matthew 19, Jesus welcomed some children into his midst and said, The kingdom of heaven belongs to ones like them. We read that at our teacher installation a second ago. In Jesus' time, a child's value was their potential to someday support the family. They are the insurance policy of family systems. They're not the center of family life like they are today. They're on the periphery, and they were economic drains until they earned their keep. But Jesus essentially says here, the kingdom of heaven belongs to the financially worthless. That's not fair. That's not fair. Then right after this story, a good faithful, rich man comes up to Jesus and asks what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, go sell your stuff and give the money to the poor because it's easier for camels to thread needles than it is for rich people to enter heaven. And that's awfully tough news, really, especially for suburban, Midwestern, six-figure household income people who work hard to maintain their lifestyles, right? That's not fair. That's not fair. And in a hot minute right after today's story, James and John, two of the disciples, are going to make their play for a promotion in Jesus' camp. They do some self-promoting. They ask for the position and the raise. They take initiative to try to climb the ladder like good entrepreneurial people would. But Jesus says, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Yikes! And that doesn't seem fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. It's not really fair. Jesus tells this parable about a Lord who does what he wants with his vast resources, and he distributes to those he chooses, which seems to be basically everybody he can find. God's economy is not merit-based, incentive-based, commission-based, achievement-based, seniority-based. It is need-based, and it is grace-based, and we all have need And the grace is totally free. And that concept of free without earning it is a little uncomfortable, especially for a lot of us good, hard-working, self-sufficient, proud folk who are highly suspicious of things that are free. Several years ago, I was talking to an FCA group, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes group, at a high school. And we were talking about grace and how it's free and how that's kind of a tough concept, really, especially for students that we are constantly grading and for an American dream that everyone's constantly chasing. And what I did in the midst of that lesson is I took five bucks. I don't think I have five on me today. I've got a couple. And I walked up to the desk of a student. I have two. uh, Nate. So uh, let's see. I walked up to Nate's desk. I put the money down on his desk and I said, Nate, this is yours. It's yours. It's a free gift. You can do whatever you want with that. And Nate backed away from his desk like it was going to blow up. (laughs) He didn't know what was going to happen. We were in the middle of a lesson about free gift and the extravagance of things that are free and grace, and it still made him uncomfortable. Now, Nate, Nate did not know what to do with the money there, even though it was obviously an illustration and a lesson about the scandal and freedom of grace. No one else in the room had any less money than when they started. Giving that to Nate didn't hurt anybody else, but still, even in the midst of this lesson, I heard murmurings of people saying, that's not fair. That's not fair. And it's kind of true. It wasn't all that fair. 
Well, we finished the lesson. We were getting ready to go. We were cleaning up our stuff. The school day was about to start. And Nate came up to me. Nate comes up to me. He tries to give the five bucks back. Right? He tries to hand it back to me. And I refused it. And I told him, no, this is yours. It's part of it. It's, it's a free gift for you. And he still looked uncomfortable about it. And then Kayla, who was another student in the room, she was one of my confirmation students at my congregation there, Kayla comes up and says to Nate, Nate, you better give my pastor his money back. And I told Kayla it was his to do what he wanted with it, and Nate looked even more uncomfortable, and Kayla looked highly irritated. But they gave us a little look into the parable that Jesus is talking about today. We're not sure always what to do with the free gift that's equally measured and equally included, or that offers equal inclusion to us. And we're not always sure how we feel about that gift being freely given to somebody else either. But the landowner in the story says, essentially, what the heck do you care? I choose to give as I will. Am I not allowed to do with what belongs to me? We are invited in this parable to acknowledge that God is God and we are not. Sometimes when uh, pastors are asked to put in a good word with the guy upstairs or something, right, about rain or about good weather or whatever the case is, if we're asked, put in a good word for us, right? Our response sometimes is, sorry, we're in sales, not management. You people of God are also in sales of the gospel, so to speak, and not management, except there is no transaction to be had here except for God taking our brokenness and giving us grace in Christ Jesus. And you only get to manage what you have been given. It's been said that gratitude is the only known cure for resentment, and I have found this to be true in my life. I find that I am at more peace and more able to live out my discipleship when I am grateful and not eyeing my neighbor's share. I expect this would be true for you too. Otherwise, you and I are just capuchin monkeys in cages resenting one another and throwing stuff at each other, which is behavior, in fact, that consumer capitalism and politics rely on heavily. God's kingdom doesn't run on that. God's kingdom runs on grace. And that's something freely given to you as a gift. Whether you have been in this faith thing your whole life long, or whether you are just getting started on it, or whether you have been gone from the church or faith for a long time and are just making your way back, whether you would really like some credit or power or control over your standing with God, or whether you feel like you have nothing to offer, whether you're especially broken or just normal human broken, God's forgiveness and grace is still and always will be freely given to you by a God who doesn't operate with our notions of fair, but operates with grace. That's not fair. That's not fair. But thank God. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Farmington Lutheran Church, its ministries, and how to connect to this part of the body of Christ by going to farmingtonlutheran.com. Peace be with you.